And the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes and the Oscar to... Goes to. My only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. Where shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Could have been a contender. Fasten yourself. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer. Yeah. All real man. Love is, is love. too weak a word. Stay back. I love you. I love you. I love you. I did as you Don't laugh! If there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV! Respect it and validate it. Remember that you told me? It's time, Robbie. Welcome to the next Best Picture Podcast. And the Oscar goes to Parasite. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 187 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. I am your host, Matt Negley, at time of recording, 11.06 a.m. on March 29th, 2020. Here to join me today, I have Michael Schwartz. Hello, everyone. Nicole Ackman. Hi, everybody. Josh Parham. Hello, hello. Dan Baer. Good morning. And Tom O'Brien. Hey, everyone. So we are all still in quarantine. Uh, this is something that we are probably going to be saying uh, every week uh, for <laughs> quite some time, I imagine. So nothing new there necessarily. Um, in fact, lately, there hasn't been much new in general um, in regards to trailers. Uh, we don't know anything about any upcoming releases other than the fact that they all keep getting postponed to um, either dates set for next year or an unknown date. And there's a lot of uncertainty, a lot of questions right now going around regarding what is ultimately going to happen to the film industry? How is this going to impact award season? We got to just take it day by day, week by week, and see uh, how everything goes. But I figured this week, let's kind of like break things up maybe a little bit. Let's try to have a little bit more fun this week and not so much dive into the coronavirus-related news. Um, so we're actually going to play a game uh, this week from a card game called Cinephile, which I highly recommend to everyone. Uh, feel free to check that out if you have not already done so before. We're going to answer um, fan questions again, only this time not live, uh, but we'll be able to get through more, hopefully, uh, this week as a result. And it's also technically the end of Q1, which is bizarre because under normal circumstances, we would be looking at the first three months of the year and saying to ourselves, okay, so what was the best thing that came out? Typically, it's, you know, slim pickings to begin with, but this time around it's really slim pickings <laughs> so you know it's interesting because you know i know a lot of us take breaks around this time of year uh we don't go to the theater as much to begin with but there are still some of us out there that do go see uh the sonic and the hedgehogs and the doolittles of the world so mm-hmm. might as well uh chat a little bit about what q1 has given us uh so far before the movie theaters did shut down and what could have been uh considering there still was uh some more films left to come in these last couple of weeks. First of all, I want to go around because obviously we've all been watching stuff at home. I want to start off with Michael. Michael, uh, what have you been catching up on uh, at home during the quarantine? So during this quarantine, at least this week, I uh, made good on a promise that I made to our friend Ryan Showers a long time ago. (laughs) And I finally watched uh, all four Scream movies for the first time ever. Oh, Oh, wow. God. Yes, uh, it was one of those things where I wanted to watch all of them within like the course of a few days. So it was like, you know, throughout the year, I'm so busy that I can't just sit down and watch four movies. And this was the perfect time. So I went through all of them, finished uh, the last one last night. And I liked them all to varying degrees. I think the first one was the best. 
The second one I thought really picked up when Laurie Metcalf came in. She's fantastic as always. Uh, third one was sort of hit or miss for me. And the fourth one I did not like outside of the finale with Emma Roberts. You mean like um, uh, in just the ending of the movie itself, you mean? Yeah, I thought the fourth one was uh, had a great opening and a really slow middle section. But uh, the finale really, you know, I don't want to say redeemed it because I don't think I necessarily liked it. But I liked what Emma Roberts was doing. And that was enough to sort of save it from being a complete and total failure. Yeah, I, I, I kind of agree with you on that as well. Uh, it definitely made things interesting, that's for sure. So, yeah, that's what I did, Scream. And then uh, this week, we'll see what else I do. You know, there are a lot of movies I've been trying to get to over the years. So, you know, why not I was going to say, I, I think I'm going to have to play a game with you, Michael, and like go back uh, a couple of episodes, uh, maybe even going all the way back years to find uh, when I recommended you to watch something and you're just like, eh, we'll <laughs> see. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my, oh, my. Whatever could those movie recommendations be? <laughs> uh, good stuff, though, regardless. Nicole, what about you? Yeah, so this week, one of the things that I watched was the 2006 BBC miniseries of Jane Eyre, which has Toby Stevens and Ruth Wilson. Uh, it's really interesting, partially because it was, like, the second thing that Ruth Wilson ever did. And it's on Amazon uh, if you have Prime, you can watch it for free. It's four hours, so it's like a nice thing to get through while you're stuck in quarantine. And I am very much not a Bronte person. People who are regular listeners might know I'm very much a Jane Austen girl, and I've never liked Jane Eyre before. And this miniseries actually made me like Jane Eyre. So a huge shout out to that. I actually have um, an episode coming out for my new podcast that's all about period dramas uh, later today, actually, about it, which is why I sat through four hours of it. But otherwise, last night I was at my parents' house, which before anyone like wants to yell at me, I live by myself, so I'm quarantining between my place and my parents' house. I'm not endangering them. But we watched Gifted, which I'd never seen before. And it's amazing I made it this long without watching it. And McKenna Grace is honestly more talented than most actresses three times her age. Agreed. I like I genuinely <laughs> believe that. She is so good in this movie. And also like Octavia Spencer is really good in it. And obviously, like, it's a bit cliched, but uh, a movie with Chris Evans as a father figure is something that was always going to be my thing. <laughs> and I actually really enjoyed it. And it's got some really cute lines in it as well. And and I think McKenna Grace could carry off anything. So I, I really enjoyed it. I think it's something I'll watch again a lot. Yeah, uh, feel free to check out our uh, podcast review because uh, surprisingly enough, I think we had a slow week when that movie came out and we actually were able to squeeze that one in when it uh, released in theaters. Um, and also, too, if you guys are fans of McKenna Grace, uh, she was in a Amazon Studios uh, movie called Troop Zero, which is a very, very little independent film also starring um, Viola Davis and um, Allison Janney as well. And it, it's cute, once again. And she, to your point, Nicole, I mean, I, I feel like she is going to become, like, even bigger than Saoirse Ronan if she continues on this trajectory. Because it is just insane, the level of talent that this young actress has. Absolutely. All righty. Uh, let's hear now from Josh. Josh, what do you have for us? Uh, so during this whole quarantine uh, business right now, I'm really trying to maintain a balance between like the comfort food movies that I keep returning to and also trying to make sure I get the stuff that 
are blind spots or things that I've been meaning to get to for a while so that I can still feel like I'm being productive in my movie watching. Um, so I have been trying to get to some stuff that I haven't seen and been meaning to get to. And probably the best one that I saw this week was that I finally, for the first time, saw Seven Beauties. Oh, shit. Ooh. Nice. Yeah, I had never seen it before. I had been uh, meaning to for ages and finally had the opportunity to see it. And yeah, I, I really, really liked it. Um, I think that it had kind of a slow start for me um, where I wasn't quite sure what I was getting into. But then it really becomes so just this really interesting character study with a fascinating performance in the center and so like bold choices in filmmaking that is just incredible. So I, I highly recommend it to people if you haven't uh, gotten a chance to see it yet. Oh, no. Yeah. The cinematography and just the overall like visual aesthetic of that movie is absolutely off the wall, like insane. And it's one that it's actually a little hard to find. I know for a lot of people, um, because I, it's also uh, like the kind of movie, too, that's like a little bit obscure. You don't really hear people talk about it other than Academy Award uh, stats uh, because she was the first. Novart Mueller, baby. Yeah, exactly. First mm-hmm. uh, female uh, director nominee ever. Uh, so it, it's definitely worth checking out. I highly, highly recommend that one. Yeah, yeah um, I saw it through the uh, Canopy streaming service, um, which for people that they don't know is a service that you can get uh, if you have a library card or I think some schools and universities also participate in it. So that's how I saw it. All right. Awesome. Really cool stuff. Dan Bear, what about you? Um, so like Josh, I'm trying to balance uh, the comfort food movies with either things that I've missed or things that are new. Um, even though theaters aren't open, movies are still uh, being released on on demand and VOD, digital, whatever. Um, so we are still getting screeners. Um, this week I saw you can check out my review of a new indie movie called Hooking Up with uh, Sam Richardson and Brittany Snow, which it, the two of them are so much better than the movie deserves. Um, I also saw Children of Men for the first time in many, many years, which listened to our podcast review. Um, if you want to hear more about that, it's stunning. Uh, I watched um, Silver Linings Playbook for the first time since 2012. And oh, so good. I literally for the entire first act of that movie, I was like, God, what the hell did we see in this movie back in 2012? Because it's so messy and so all over the place. And then Jennifer Lawrence came on and I was like, oh, right. Yeah, the chemistry that she has with Cooper in that movie is pretty undeniable. And and she really, like, once she comes on, the movie, like, finds its focus in a yeah. way that is really kind of amazing. And I probably still would not have given her the Oscar in 2012, but I, I get it. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. It's also uh, one of Robert De Niro's uh, best performances in the last, like, 20-something years. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's, that he's whole wonderful. Ensemble. Yeah, the, uh, the whole ensemble is great. Um, and it's... Uh, really energetic movie even when it's messy 
Just remember, uh, Oscar nomination for crab cakes and happy snacks. <laughs> hey, if you live in Delaware crab County, snacks and homemade. Uh, whatever it was, uh, it, it's still one of the most bizarre Oscar nominations of the last decade. <laughs> I, I have to say, like, watching it, now, she, watching it now, she was in it a lot more than I remember. But she still doesn't have that, a whole that much to do. <laughs> Hey, listen, people really, really fell for that movie uh, in a yeah. pretty major way. It's actually uh, quite remarkable thinking back on it, how many nominations, a rom-com ultimately, really, really. and very non-flashy, you know, in terms of uh, what they typically tend to go for and they be in the Academy. Um, I think it got, if I remember correctly, I think seven Oscar nominations. Eight. Eight? Yeah, eight. yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Four acting nominations, picture director, Screenplay and editing. Okay. Yeah. Just for just for comparison's sakes here, when Harry <laughs> met Sally, only got one Oscar nomination. Okay. I so, can't. I can't. Don't don't go there. Don't. <laughs> I'm just saying, Those times have changed, it. and uh, you know, definitely people really really love that movie a lot. Yeah, yeah. I I do remember that uh, when they when they were selling it, um, there was a, a, a side campaign. Um, you know, producers and Bradley going on. Uh, Places like Larry King selling it as a study of mental illness. <laughs> I remember they met with Vice President Biden. Yeah, yeah. To give it some weight, you know, so it wasn't just thought of as a rom com. Yeah. That's actually the one part of the movie that for me is actually like the messiest aspect of all. I don't think that the mental illness um, issues that they try to uh, tackle in the screenplay, I really don't think that they do that justice very well. And they actually like make fun of it a lot. Um, and yeah. it's really not a laughing matter. But I do think that the family dynamics um, and also to just the uh, messy relationship that those two main characters have and how they kind of come together by the end, despite the fact that they have their own internal struggles, uh, that part of the movie works, I think, for me. My favorite behind the scenes story about that movie is apparently Bradley Cooper's mother was a consultant on set to make sure all the actors were acting Philly appropriate. <laughs> I love that. I yeah. love that. And um, yeah, I so that was ended up being a very enjoyable rewatch, something that I needed. And then just yesterday, I watched by a screener uh, a n- new film. I think it's being released next week called The Other Lamb, which was something that I missed at uh, Toronto back in uh, the fall. And it is with... Uh, Rafi Cassidy and Michael Huisman, he Ooh. plays a cult leader, and she is one of the uh, quote-unquote daughters of the cult, which is made up of Michael Huisman's wives and daughters. And that's exactly what you think it means. Um, and it, she is like sort of on the verge of puberty as the movie begins, and it's about how she goes through puberty and starts seeing her whole world in a different light. And it it's a lot of like, you know, ground that has been well trod in other movies before, but holy crap, the cinematography and sound work and production design in this are just out of this world. It's totally hypnotic and I couldn't look away the whole time. That's always something that I love about these VOD releases is that, yeah. you know, they, they fly under the radar, uh, but we get a chance to, uh, you know, check them out and then, you know, tell people that they are worth, you know, streaming, especially during this time right now where people are looking for stuff to stream. So oh, yeah. I'm definitely going to check it out now based on that recommendation. 
yeah, highly recommend when it's released next week. Awesome. Great. Cool. Tom? Uh, for me, most of my year is about movies. So I wind up, um, so television gets by me. So same. I'm focusing on television right now. Um, mm. I've got a new favorite daytime show, the Andrew Cro- uh, Cuomo uh, coronavirus. Ah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we live for Daddy Cuomo's breath precincts. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, my God, a leader who knows what he's talking about and has yeah. a short-term plan yeah. and a long-term plan. Yeah. I, I, I can't get my head around this. It's, it's crazy. I do. Uh, it has been enjoyable, though, to see uh, some of the shows uh, being transferred to the hosts' homes, uh, especially yeah. you know, especially their basements, um, especially uh, uh, you know because the uh, they when they have their makeshift studios down there. The best basement tour, though, uh, was by Patty Lapone. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh my, oh, my God. God. <laughs> so that that has been a, sort of a side show of fun in this uh, terrible time. Uh, I had never seen Succession before, so I've decided I've got to be. Yes. Oh my god. Yes. Uh, so, but it's been it's been kind of a crazy uh, couple of days because I've been splitting it. I've been watching a couple of episodes of Succession and then watching Tiger King. Oh my God, Tiger King! <laughs> oh my dear, sweet heavenly Jesus! <laughs> my head is so messed up with these two shows. Okay, so just out of curiosity, uh, how far into succession are you? Uh, I am um, halfway through the first season, so I'm a little slow. I know that it doesn't kick in; season one doesn't really kick in until a couple of episodes from now. But that's yeah, okay. Yeah. I'm just getting to know everybody. And the second season blows it out of the water. Um, oh. Completely. Tiger King, did you finish it? No, haven't finished it yet. Oh, it's oh. a freaking roller coaster of a series. I'm, I'm going to transition over because that's what I've been watching. And just when you think that this story cannot get any more bizarre, it it, it somehow does. I saw a really, really fantastic article um, by Chris Evangelista over at uh, Slash Film on uh, if they were to make a live action movie of this story, which they totally should, because it's just so outrageous. Um, he suggested that Michael Keaton should be uh, cast in the lead role as uh, Exotic Joe. Yeah, I was like, oh my God, that would be so incredibly perfect. I, I can't even comprehend. <laughs> the rights have already been sold. Oh, for real? Yeah, and it was bought by Kate McKinnon. Oh my Ooh. Lord. Ooh. And she's playing Carol. No. Yes. <laughs> Oh my god. Okay. I am I am very excited now. Here comes another <laughs> Emmy. Yep. Uh, I guess it will be uh I guess it yeah, I guess it would be a maybe a TV movie or something in that case. No, I don't know. series. Okay. Yeah, All right. Everything about Tiger King reminds me of and if you guys haven't watched this that you need to uh don't fuck with cats. Oh, I've heard of that. Yeah. Which is the same sort of deal like it crazier than you could ever have imagined but it's completely 100% true life and that that movie in particular it's only a three part mini series like it could have been a movie um but it's the twist and turns and i just sat there the whole time with my jaw on the floor it's incredible recommend nice 
Um, other than uh, uh, Tiger King, I've also been watching uh, Westworld, uh, Better Call Saul on a weekly basis. Oh, God. Better Call Saul is so good this season. <laughs> it's incredible. Um, Rhea Seahorn for all the Emmys, please. Because all the yeah. fucking Emmys. Her last episode was truly so amazing. Good. The last scene. Yeah. The last scene. Oh, my God. The, and it's criminal that she hasn't gotten a nomination before this, frankly. And I also uh, have been watching the new season of Ozark, which is more intense and heart attack inducing than ever before. <laughs> so, All right. I might need to have to get on that show because I watched like five episodes of season one and it didn't do it for me. But now I'm hearing everyone say Laura Lenny, Laura Lenny, Laura Lenny. And that's enough for me. Oh, yeah. And I mean, obviously, Julia Gardner is incredible. And I think it's also uh, Bateman's best work that he's ever done. But I, for me, I agree, Michael. The first season, it was like it had a good pilot. Um, but then it, it kind of got a little slow in the middle and, it, but by the end of the first season, I was invested enough that I was like, oh, yeah, I want to see where the story goes from here. Second season I thought was much, much better than the first season, especially because they, um, had Peter Mullen in the second season and he was fantastic. He's a great actor. Oh yeah, truly. I mean, we just rewatched, uh, Children of Men, uh, which we have a podcast review as, uh, Dan Bear said before, and he's like one of the best things about the movie in a small supporting role. Seriously. <laughs> um, I also, uh, rewatched Mulan, another podcast review that you all can, uh, check out. That was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And there's just a lot of really great stuff right now that, you know, uh, we're talking a lot about like comfort food and stuff. And for me, my comfort food is definitely, uh, Disney <laughs> Renaissance movies. <laughs> yeah. And also for anyone in the UK who's listening, like welcome to Disney plus. <laughs> yeah. Have fun exploring. It can mm-hmm. be overwhelming, but there's some great stuff. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Hi everyone. This is Tim Costa. I'm Hermano De Silva. And this is Walter Vinci. And together we are the first time watchers podcast. Each week we choose a movie to review that none of us has seen. Watch it together. And then discuss. These movies could be new or old or on our list of shame. You can find us on iTunes by searching for the First Time Watchers podcast. As well as on Stitcher. And we love interacting with our listeners. So if you have any suggestions, send us a tweet. An email. Or post to our Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you. That's right. I mean, it's all about interaction. And talk about what we love. Movies. And you don't have to worry about us going on and on about this and that and the other. And oh, no, look, no, no, let's no. talk stop, about stop, this. Stop, stop. Shut up, shut here. up, shut up, shut and up. And I wonder shut who up. the guy that can God damn it, shut up. I think that's enough. Oh, my God. Go by during the credits. Uh, what I want to do now is I want to transition over into um, the movies that did come out in the first quarter of the year. I posted something on Twitter today about like if the Oscars were held at the end of Q1, what movies would uh, win Academy Awards? And it's it, it's very interesting because one thing that stands out to me so much about uh, Q1 is how many impressive female lead performances that we've had so far. Heck yeah. Um, Mm-hmm. We had uh, Margot Robbie in Birds of Prey. Uh, we had, uh, obviously, Elizabeth Moss in The Invisible Man. Riley Keough in The Lodge. Uh, Julia Gardner in The Assistant. You know, there, there's a lot of really, really strong Buffalo, work out there. Which no one saw. <laughs> uh, animated is a little thin. It was basically, like, like onward, and that's it. <laughs> I would be fine with that, though. Like, that wouldn't upset me. No, I think onward is, is a solid Pixar effort. I don't think yeah, it's it was great, really but it's very solid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, in terms of like technicals, that's where I was like going down the list and I was like, ooh, a little slim. But, you know, Emma would obviously be, I think, the costume and production design winner, most likely. I feel like it's only real competition in costume design would be Birds of Prey. 
Agreed. Yeah. yeah. And I say as I'm literally wearing a Harley Quinn shirt, that's a replica from the film. But um. <laughs> And with that said, I think Birds of Prey would win uh, the makeup Oscar same way that Suicide Squad probably did. Yeah. And then, like, I was looking at, like, things like film editing, and I'm like, you know, even though it's not, like, most editing, Invisible Man had very deliberate editing in terms of how long to hold on to certain shots for and such. It was well cut, but it was over long. You think so? Oh, I thought it went on like 30 minutes too long. Uh, see, I give the edge more to uh, to that film. Maybe you know, if you want to go for a movie that has the most editing in Q1, uh, Guy Ritchie's The Gentleman probably takes the cake oh, on God. that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that or Birds of Prey. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but huge. I, I said this on another episode. Hugh Grant is easily my supporting actor winner of Q1 by far. Same, same. <laughs> I feel like my supporting so actors funny. for Q1 are Hugh Grant in The Gentleman and Dan Stevens in The Call of the Wild, which is to say, like, I just love to see a former leading man do a really campy performance, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I mean, uh, it looks like Hugh Grant is having a ball. Oh. I really so much does. fun. He's having so much fun. Uh, and then I think like when you look at like lead actor, for example, I, I really think it's just like it's just Ben Affleck. I don't I didn't see any real impressive leading band performances Did, um, in Q1. Um, what's Did his name from? And then we danced. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I still don't know if I count that as a Q1 movie. FYI, it was released yeah. in theaters in Q1 of this year. But I typically go by Oscar qualifying run. That's why. Well, Matt, but, you know what but, you can qualify as uh, for Q1? What's is that? Garrett Hedlund and Burden. Oh, shit. Uh, oh, I, I forgot that movie existed. <laughs> yep. It is the last movie that I saw in theaters before they all closed. <laughs> wow. Question. I know that Mr. Jones had a run in London. Did it ever open in New York and LA? I don't believe so. I don't think it did. Okay. Because I know it was in London and it's. Uh, James Norton in that is by far my like favorite lead actor performance of the year thus far. Yeah, and there's some really nice performances in The Banker. Mm. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Apple TV uh, Plus. Yeah, yeah, but it did get a two week run uh, before it uh, went to Apple TV, uh, and uh, so it counts. And uh, and Sam uh, and uh, Anthony Mackie are having a, a great time together. Lovely, lovely supporting performance by Nia Long. And uh, Christian Holt sort of is, uh, he's, he has the big character arc in the whole thing. So it's it's a bit of a surprise. Not very well directed, but very well acted. So I was I was trying to like figure out based on uh, like my Twitter post, uh, just not even so much like personal favorites, but just like what would quote unquote the Academy, like this mm-hmm. Academy, trying to think about like their taste and their sensibilities like what would they still go for if this was all they had to choose from essentially and i think the category that was like toughest for me to sift through in that regard was best cinematography and Mm -hmm. it was like village wendy uh what about first cow for cinematography ah I mean, I haven't seen it yet, unfortunately, so oh, I'm just bummer. guessing. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'd, put, I'd put Emma in for best cinematography. Oh, yeah, Emma's, yeah. Emma's a good choice, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah that, it's right in the Academy wheelhouse. Yeah, so maybe Emma would take it, actually. So, question, what do we think would take song? Because I almost feel like it would be Taylor Swift's song for Miss Americana. I, I think that that's, yeah, that's yeah. the only song. Right? Yeah. That's the only thing. Like. <laughs> and then for, like, documentary, it's essentially Miss Americana and Crip Camp. So either way, yes. Netflix wins an Oscar. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> 
I, I, I haven't seen, I, I'm sad to say, I haven't seen any international uh, films. But if, 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 and then we dance does qualify, then I guess that would win that probably. I mean, is that rule still in place where as long as it gets released in the States in the qualifying period, it's still eligible, even though it was submitted the prior year? It is, but it's not going to be eligible for international feature. If it was submitted right. for that yeah. last year, then yeah. out there. Which is yeah. why, technically speaking, for- like I wouldn't consider Portrait of a Lady on Fire for anything for 2020. No, that got a qualifying release last year. Yeah, but movies right. like And Then We Danced, uh, another one is Beanpole. Because yeah. the rule is basically if you are submitted last year but you don't get a nomination but get a qualifying release the following year, you're eligible in every category except international feature. Yep. That makes sense. Hmm. Okay. Well, then And Then We Danced does not win international feature in that case. <laughs> No, but it's eligible for every other category. Yeah, sure, sure. Best picture, baby. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I and I also believe that if the Oscars were held today, never, rarely, sometimes, always, would probably win uh, original screenplay, director, and picture. Most likely, that's. I mean, oh. listen, that, like that, that's just like a hunch on my part in terms of what I think the Academy would go for. I, I highly doubt. As much as like it's popular, like The Invisible Man would be winning the major top prizes outside of Elizabeth Moss. We, and we can't forget, please, uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus in Downhill, even though that movie is forgettable. Mm. I'm still predicting the- that Golden Globe comedy nod. Yeah. She's really good in it. I mean, she, she she's in the movie that I wanted to see, not Will Ferrell. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> uh, I think Bad Boys would probably land nominations for things like sound, most likely, mm. uh, which just... That makes me smile. I don't know why. <laughs> Did we know that movie made over two hundred million dollars? Oh yeah, it's astonishing. Crazy. What would um What would get uh visual effects? Because I feel like everything has been bad. So I was just about to ask that. Like, yeah. it, it, what do little podcasts have been re- worth it then? <laughs> I, I I said Sonic, and the reason why I said Sonic is not because it is quote unquote the best visual effects, but they would run an awards campaign that would run on sympathy for what that team had to go through. <laughs> And that's oh why God. they would win. God, yeah. True. I mean, it's either that or Doolittle. <laughs> so, oh, oh, Lord. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe underwater. Uh, <laughs> I, I know, right? <laughs> um, and then, Dan, you'll be happy to know that I took a look at the uh, Best Supporting Actress contenders, and the only one that really stood out to me was truly uh, Miranda Hart from uh, yes. Emma. Yes. Miranda Hart. Best supporting actress. It's what she deserves. It's what she deserves. And she has the best scene in the movie. She does. Oh. I. It, it, that's one of the best scenes uh, in any movie this year, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the, yeah, the only other thing person that I would put in there, honestly, is well, I guess Judy Greer in Buffaloed. Oh, Buffaloed is something that like I I, I just want all of the nice things for Zoe Dutch because yeah. she is so phenomenal in that movie and it's so, so underrated. Damn good. Yeah. Yeah. And that's another good one. Like I think it's on I'm pretty sure it's on VOD and like it's a blast watch. It, it. That's just a it's a fun watch. Yeah. Very fun. Hello everyone. This is JD from the In Session Film Podcast. Each week we review the latest from Hollywood, California. Well, yes, Brendan. We also give top three lists. Okay. Yeah. Thanks again, Brendan. Additionally, you can hear us talk other movie news, trailers, varying movie series, or other interesting film related topics, and even rants and raves of the week. That's correct, Brendan. On top of our main show, every Friday, you can also hear our extra film podcasts. Good job, Brendan. 
Thank you, JD. It's my goal to make you proud. You're the father after all. <laughs> yes, and I'm very proud. Uh, you can listen to the In Session Film podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or at InSessionFilm.com. Brendan, will you please let me complete just one? Nope. Oh, for heaven's sake. Listen to the In Session Film podcast every Monday and Friday. Subscribe today and hear me verbally beat JD like a Cherokee drum. No, 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 no. That's not how this works, sir. Hey, no, you, you, no, no, you no. go cry at Midnight Special again, oh, okay? That's okay. what you're I good will. for. I will. You know what? And I'll do it while pummeling you. I'll do both at the same time. How are you going to pummel me? Yeah, I, I don't, I don't buy that. That's just how <laughs> it works. All well and good. Cool beans. All right. So now what I want to do is I do want to head on over to uh, the polls really quick. And I want to touch base on that. So kind of continuing a little bit of the conversation we were just having. Uh, we asked everyone, what was the best movie of 2020 before the theaters closed down? So what do you guys think won that poll? Oh, Lord. Uh, Emma? <laughs> I feel like maybe the the Invisible Man. Yeah, I think Invisible Man. It was widely seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so at number 10, we have The Assistant. Number okay. 9 is Bad Boys for Life. <laughs> hey, that movie was fun. Number eight. I love it. Um, I love that it's placed in the top ten, even though it played for only, what, two or three days before the theaters closed? Never really, sometimes, always. Mm-hmm. Nice. Number seven is The Way Back. Number six is The Gentleman. Nice. The mm. highest that Guy Ritchie will ever place on one of these polls, most likely. <laughs> <laughs> Number five is Kelly Reichardt's First Cow. Number four is Emma. Yes. Number three is Onward. And number two is Birds of Prey. Oh, hell yeah. Meaning that number one is The Invisible Man. Look at that. Mm. There you go. And shout out to some of the write-ins that we did receive. Uh, We got some write-ins for Sonic the Hedgehog. Uh, Gretel and Hansel, which, by the way, oh, no. no, no, I know, I agree, Dan. Oh no, but I, I will say this: well shot. I'll, I'll give it that. The cinematography and production design in that are really, really great. Yes. Uh, we also had a write-in for uh, Swallow, Ooh. and we also had a write-in for someone said Fantasy Island, which okay, <laughs> that's <right>. fine. <laughs> And uh, we had a write-in for And Then We Danced. Oh. Yay. So thank you, everyone, for voting on that this week. Um, I was actually surprised to see that we didn't ask this question in a poll yet. So this was the week to ask it because, believe me when I tell you, we're running low on things to ask. Um, <laughs> so we asked everyone, uh, which is their favorite pandemic movie? Now, there's kind of a broad definition here, I think, because this also applies to like the zombie genre, which in and of itself is like its own genre in a way. So there are zombie movies sprinkled throughout this. Um, but then there's like something like 10 Cloverfield Lane, which... It, 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 it's like one of those things where you don't know what it is exactly, but it is dealing with obviously isolation, quarantine and stuff and a lot of the stuff that we're currently going through right now. So that's listed there, even though in the end it turns out to be an alien invasion, whatever. I don't, I, to me, the third act of 10 Cloverfield Lane doesn't exist. <laughs> Every, everything else in that movie can stay, but, you know, whatever. Oh, you mean when it actually becomes a Cloverfield movie? Bingo. Exactly. It's not so but, you know, there's a pretty long list here. We have Carriers. We've got It Comes at Night, which, by the way, 
unfairly shit on upon its release. FYI, that's a very solid movie. Uh, Bird Box. You guys remember Bird Box? Yeah, yeah. that uh, qualifies. The simpler existed. times. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we have the host, the crazies, uh, Shaun of the Dead. Uh, there's a lot listed here. So, is there anything that stands out to you all? Uh, well, I think that for me, uh, I have to go back to 28 Days Later. Uh, we had a podcast review of it where I sang the praises of it. So, yep, that's still the top of my list for me. The, my favorite film on the list is The Host. But I see it more as a monster movie than a pandemic movie. Yeah, me too. I honestly haven't seen that many of these, which I didn't realize. Like, oh. I guess it's because it's not something that... Uh, it, it's not a Nicole genre. No, I that's is it like terrible if I say like my favorite zombie movie is definitely Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. I thought you were gonna say <laughs> Warm Bodies, but that's brand. yeah. Why did I think that? Well, because like Matt Smith as Mr. Collins in that movie is honestly really important to me. And Matt Smith is the best thing about that movie, FYI. I mean, easily, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, extending it over to your uh, male counterpart here, I imagine Michael uh, might also be hurting to find a uh, favorite on the list. <laughs> Oh, favorite pandemic movie. I guess I'm going to have to go with Contagion. I thought that was really well done. Did you rewatch it recently? I saw it. I've seen it since it was in theater. But it was in like 2013, 2014. No, no, dude. If you rewatch it now, it's it so... is frightening. <laughs> uh, I, I, I clearly remember images from that movie and, you know, key details. I was a big fan of it when it opened. And I was actually very disappointed that it didn't get Oscar love. So... You know, that's one that I would really encourage people to go back and see if they haven't before. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I admire anyone who can watch this sort of movie right now. But uh, it's it's not my coping mechanism. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. Um, I, I think that what's most interesting is like the stuff that you can learn. Um, we talked about this on our Children of Men podcast that there's a lot in terms of like human behavior um, that you can look at it in like a prophetic sort of way and kind of like try to draw parallels to our current society. Is this where we're going, et cetera? It gives you some stuff to think about, asking some questions and such. So I, I find that part of it to be the most interesting. Uh, but I'm going to give one last shout out to It Comes at Night, Trey Edward Schultz's uh, second film, which once again, unfairly shit on upon its release. And I think everybody should check that one out again. Last 15 minutes ruin it. Uh, oh, damn. I it, it had a perfect ending point and then it continued. I'm trying to build a case here, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> and I am also trying to build a case here, Matt. Sure, sure. Totally understandable. Uh, I mean, on this list, I'd go for Rise of the Planet of the Apes. I don't know that I'd considered it a pandemic movie, but that movie is so good and so much better than it had any right to be. There is a virus breakout uh, breakout at the end of the movie. At the very end of the movie. That is true. That is true. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, head on over to the polls page at nextbestpicture.com. Cast a vote on there. Let us know what is your favorite pandemic movie. Let us know if you're watching it actually during this pandemic. And if you find anything interesting about it. Um, you know, it's like one of those things where I do feel that over the next month, two months, we're going to start seeing uh, life imitate art in a way that might be a little frightening. Uh, but I think it's best to always take a look at these movies and realize uh, that because I always say to myself during these times, I've seen enough movies to know what not to do, <laughs> you know, and uh, I hope that others can maybe learn the same lessons and apply them as well. So hopefully. 
in any event. Uh, now, would anybody like to play a game? Let's do it. Let's have some fun. Yes. Right. Let's break out the cinephile card game here for a moment, shall we? Hell yeah. I want you to play a game with me, Ray. I don't want to play a game. Oh, please. No. I said play a game with me, Ray. Man. Right. Lovely. Okay. So we're going we're gonna to establish an order here. I will start. I'm going to pull a card from the deck. On the card, there will be both an actor and a movie. Okay, that that actor is uh, from. Uh, so in this case, I just pulled a card, and it's Ewan McGregor's uh, character from Train Spotting. Okay. Now I can then say Ewan McGregor or Train Spotting. All right. Hypothetically, if I said Train Spotting, it would go over to Michael. Michael now has to name an actor from Train Spotting. Doesn't matter if it's Ewan McGregor; it could be somebody else. But the bottom line is that the chain is starting with train spotting. He's going to say an actor. Does it have to be an actor or can it be a director? Nope, has to be a, has to be an actor or an actor. And I'm doomed. No, well, well, <laughs> we're not, well, we're just using this as an example, okay? So if I pull this card and I say to you, Michael, train spotting, you would say Ewan McGregor. Now, if we go over to Nicole, Nicole then has to name a movie starring Ewan McGregor. Oh, that isn't train spotting. Then. Josh Parham would have to then name an actor from that movie, and it, it just keeps going. You guys following me? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Switching so off so, between actor and film. Exactly. And so, like, the round is over when someone can't name something. Correct. And I okay. am going to be very, very tough here on the reaction time. So I am going to literally give everyone three seconds to reply. Oh, my God. To start their reply, right? Like, you know, like, what if... Yeah. I'm like, what if it's a long title? <laughs> I'll, I'll do a slow count. I'll do a slow okay. three count mentally yeah. in my head. Maybe it, it might go for four seconds or five seconds, maybe. But, you know. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Five seconds would be appreciated. Yeah. <laughs> so the order is going to be myself, Michael, Nicole, Josh, Dan, Tom. Okay. Okay. All right. Here we go. I'm pulling a card. This is Cinephile, the card game. Okay. Uh, I will start off with an actor. John C. Riley. Chicago. <laughs> what happened, Nicole? My mind just went blank. Wow, I'm not awake enough for this. I am so sorry. Okay, all right, all right. Let's let's try wow, again. Let's try really, again. I'm really driving. Okay, guys. That was a warm up. That was a warm up. That was a yeah. warm up. <laughs> all right, Michael. Angela Bassett. Black Panther. Uh, Michael B. Jordan. Uh, Creed. Oh, it's Sylvester Stallone. Uh, Rocky. Uh, Talia Shear. The Godfather. Uh, <laughs> De Niro? Um, Silver Lines Playbook. Ooh. Jennifer Lawrence. Uh, Joy. Bradley Cooper. American Hustle. Uh, Five seconds. I've never seen it. <laughs> Think of the poster. <laughs> Ryan C. Showers is spinning somewhere right now. I know. Oh, he gets on me to see it all the time. I was trying to see the poster. He, he literally just had a bead of sweat drip, drip down his spine. I'm sure. <laughs> I, have, I have a question. I have a, I have a clarifying question. If someone has already named an actor, 
Uh-huh. You can't can you name, name them. them again? No. no. Okay, that's what I... Yeah. Okay. I'm going to start us off again. Paul Newman. Cool hand Luke. <laughs> Sorry, Nicole. Oh. <laughs> that was dirty. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Nicole, no, I'm not doing this intentionally. I just think of the first thing that comes to my mind. I'm like, oh, oops. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Pride and Prejudice, the Kira Knightley version. Oh, damn it. I gave Michael a layup. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> that was good. Say the Joe Wright version. Yeah. Whoops. The 2005. Start with the new one. Pick something new, Matt. Uh, okay. The Irishman. Al Pacino. <laughs> Nicole. Nicole, it's Al Pacino. I can't think of anything. Serpico, Dog Day Afternoon, and Justice oh for All. Scent of a Woman. The Godfather. Scent of a Woman. <laughs> you could have gone back to The Godfather Angels if you wanted. Angels in America, Nicole. Angels in America. You could have just said Hunters, and I would have been like, all right, pass. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's all I could think was The Godfather, but like. Well, it's a new round, so you could have said that. Oh, that's true. Okay, never mind. All right, are the rules clear to everybody? <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's pull another card. Oh, Tom's going to be, like, waiting, like, for his turn. Like, maybe Tom and I should switch spots in this game. Kristen Stewart. Twilight. Robert Pattinson. The Lighthouse. <laughs> Willem Dafoe. There's only two actors. Uh, uh, the Florida Project. Oh, well, that's mean. Because if I say Brooklyn Prince or... (laughs) (laughs) All right, fine. I'll say say Brooklyn Prince. Yeah. She's been in other stuff. No, Michael? Oh, uh, that Apple TV series, Home After Dark. (laughs) (laughs) That that series. Well, that ends it. (laughs) Uh, hey, you know what? We did we did one full cycle, so yep. yay. Yay. Even I couldn't have come up with anything after that, so they don't feel bad, Nicole. That was like you know a dead end. Although you that could have said the turning. I was gonna say it. That was the first thing that came to my mind. That's yeah. the only other thing that came to my mind. <laughs> and then beyond that, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's funny because the lighthouse is like such a tricky one as well. It's like there's only two actors in the whole movie. It, but it was an easy one well, to well, follow. Well, well, well. That's it. <laughs> like, if somebody ever pulls, um, <laughs> dear God, <laughs> if somebody wanted to, like, really fuck with someone, like, if we were doing, like, a point system and you were trying to be strategic, um, and somebody got, like, Robert Redford, all you'd have to do is say, all is lost, and you win. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, Mad Max Fury Road. Charlie's Theron. Uh, Bombshell. Uh, Margot Robbie. Once upon a time in Hollywood. Brad Pitt. Twelve Monkeys. Bruce Willis. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> Nicole. Not Nicole's genre. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen a Bruce Willis movie. <laughs> I don't. Have you heard of Die Hard? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I couldn't remember if it was him or not, and I was afraid to say it. And not <laughs> There's something called Pulp Fiction. <laughs> Uh, all right. 
Just New card. Angelica Houston. The Royal Tenenbaums. <laughs> Michael. <laughs> At this point, I just feel bad for Nicole. <laughs> I got nothing. <laughs> oh. There is this actor, Nicole. His name is Gene Hackman. Okay. He is retired. Uh, yeah, I, I know who Gene Hackman is. <laughs> we got Ben Stiller. We got Owen Wilson. Stiller, we got Gwyneth Paltrow. Michael, that was a gift. <laughs> yeah, that's a big ensemble. All right, all right. Let's get off. Let's get off Nicole's back a little bit. Sorry. It's we fine. It's fine. That was fun. Uh, this is Cinephile, a card game. Feel free to check it out. I will provide a link in the notes here. There are other games that one can play with this as well. There is um, Six Degrees, where you connect two actors through their films in Six Degrees or less, which is, believe me, more challenging than you would think. Uh, there are. There is also something called filmography. Name more films from an actor's resume than your opponents. Mm. Oh, believe me, we could be here all day. Yeah, <laughs> in some of these cases, I'm sure. And the trick is just not to use the internet to help you. Exactly. Prove that you are a true cinephile. Okay, let's move over now to fan questions. Hi guys, I'm Dean, and I'm Daniel, and we're from the Movie Journey Podcast, where we break down every movie from the IMDb Top 250 list, giving our own thoughts and reviews and any general discussion along the way. We're also home of the Pod V Pod, where we battle other podcasters in various movie games and drafts. We also do reviews of new releases, film tournaments, top five lists, and talk about everything else we've watched as well. We used to be the IMDb Journey Podcast, but since then, we've grown and matured with age. Yeah, if you don't believe us, why don't you listen to some more genuine testimonies? Oh, hey guys, I uh, I used to like the IMDb Journey podcast, but since then I've found something even better. It's the Movie Journey podcast. Oi, bro, I know I said the IMDb Journey podcast was a good show, but the Movie Journey podcast is so much better. Absolutely for sure, yeah. You know, I used to think that nothing could be funnier than IMDb Journey, but I've now found my joy in Movie Journey podcast. The IMDb Journey podcast is nothing compared to the Movie Journey podcast. Absolutely love this podcast. <laughs> oh, amazing oh, testimonies once again. Absolutely legit and real. Of course. And if you still don't believe those testimonies, go ahead and check out the show for yourself by searching for the Movie Journey podcast. You can find us on all your favourite platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher and Podbean. So come along and join our journey. Let's see what we got here for this week. Oh, boy, we have a lot. All right, here we go. Jeffrey Kerr asks us, what are your thoughts on the rumors of Disney possibly releasing Mulan and Black Widow straight to streaming? Never going to happen. That's not going to happen. No. I think no. it's just rumors. No. Yeah. Agreed. I can I can totally see where, it, like, a smaller film, it would make sense to go ahead and bring it out um, straight to streaming, but not something that's going to be a big money earner like either of those films. Yeah. Yeah. I, I could see something like a, a wrinkle in time going mm-hmm. there, not, uh, not to move on. Yeah. Andrew Purr asks, do you think that these events could lead to a resurgence in drive-in movie theaters, and would you go regularly to them if that were the case? Oh. I, I think it, it did for a little bit. Um, <laughs> Until the movie I, releases I saw, stopped. <laughs> yeah, like I saw a story about it, and I – Look, going to a drive-in theater is so much fun. I, it's one of life's uh, great joys, honestly. The, there's always issues with the sound, but like it's 
it's nostalgic. Oh, you it know, so, like, so is. Yeah. yeah. I have such great memories of being a kid and going to the drive-in. So I haven't been in I don't know how long and yeah, the quality is not going to be as great as it is if you were in a theater, but it's definitely an, a nice experience, and I'm sure that the technology to present those films has also significantly improved from back in the day. And, and, and I wish we had one around us because I I love them, and I hadn't. So I, I spent a little time this week going just around the drive-ins that people have mentioned, and I'd forgotten what a bargain it is. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah, one of them has like a double bill of The Invisible Man and The Hunt for five dollars. Damn. Oh yeah. Mm. Yeah, but the catch is you get coronavirus, so. Well, the chapel has. You stay in your damn car. <laughs> I, I mean, when I was little, I couldn't go to them because the second feature was always the big feature, and I'd be asleep. And I'm probably not going to go to them now because for the same reason. <laughs> I used to go to. Uh, drive-ins as a kid and my only memory from that time uh was batman forever that's the only one i can remember <laughs> mm. i've never been to a drive-in it's an experience yeah it's a yeah. lot of fun. It's, yeah i've been I've to a drive-thru and not a drive-in <laughs> <laughs> i've been ever, once yeah if you ever do go to something that's not necessarily relying on superb sound and projection have Go to something that looks like it's a lot of fun and you'll have a ball. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I went, I, uh, God, I forget what year this was, but I was, I was on vacation with uh, my former partner in Lake George and we went to the drive in there and it was a double bill of uh, the Colin Farrell Fright Night and <laughs> uh, Don't Be Afraid of the Dark. Oh, <laughs> and that was like it was that was the perfect double feature yeah. for a drive in. Yes. Yeah. All right. Adam Clay asks, what effect do you think this world event could have on the Oscars in the long term, such as the type of movies that get nominated? Mm. I don't think it's going to. Well, I do think that for this year, particularly, we are going to see the most happy-go-lucky, light, fair, feel-good movie to win Best Picture. Because I, I think when we get through this, we're just going to say, God, give us something that will make us smile to just win Best Picture. Yeah. Emma Hi. for Best Picture! <laughs> <laughs> um, my belief is that the Oscars are going to be pushed back We get a mar- to accommodate that. for those fall, film re- those fall releases that uh, their productions have halted at the moment. I just think everything's literally going to shift a couple of months and then we'll be back to the regular scheduled programming the next year. I suspect. I think Oscar Dake will say the same. They'll just move the eligibility away from December 31st. And there's also this this new ruling from the uh, the Globes about allowing stretching the rules as to what could actually qualify. Yeah, I think as, I think if they just word it that this is an exception um, because they obviously don't want to set a precedent. The, the main goal here is to not kill the movie theater industry with whatever decision they decide to do. Um, I know a lot of people are already talking about how the effect of COVID-19 will probably be the death nail for movie theaters, but... No, it's not going to be the death nail. No, I'm just saying a lot of people are acting like it will be. Yeah. Um, I agree, though, to, that it won't be. Um so, because here's the thing, I, I think that true cinema lovers, 
yeah, we're watching stuff at home, but that doesn't mean that when we can go back to a movie theater, that doesn't mean like, oh, behaviorally, I'm now conditioned to watch stuff at home, so I will never go back to the movie theater again. Like, that's, it's just not the yeah. way that works. No. No. We're all dying to go to the movie theaters. I exactly. think that when movie theaters reopen, you're going to see a surge. You know what they're going to do? They're going to they're, they're gonna release um, some big, 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 big movie um, that is going to just unite everybody. And everyone's going to go out like in droves to see it. Like, could you imagine yeah. hypothetically if um, this happened last year and the first movie that was um, the first weekend that theaters were open again was like Avengers Endgame or something like that? <laughs> I really do like, think like congrats to whatever is in theaters the week that they reopen because they're going to make bank. Oh, yeah. And if Disney is smart, they will release Mulan as soon as theaters reopen again. You get that to be the first thing in there. I mean, how amazing would that be for, you know, Chinese American people? Yeah. Or and Chinese people just in general. I mean, it, like, it, yeah. If that, if that, if the film they choose is or, or is able to get out is makes you feel good and wonderful, something like In the Heights. Oh yeah, that'd be amazing. that would be a perfect first film for oh, me. That's gonna be so good. Yeah. Uh, Josh Blumenkrantz, uh, since we're kind of on this topic, asks which movie will make the most box office this year after all of this is over. I have no idea what's going to open. So yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I think that Mulan definitely stands a pretty big chance. Yeah. Um, I would also throw Wonder Woman 1984 in there as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about Tenant? I don't think I think that will make money, but I don't think it's going to make the most money. No. Yeah, I think Wonder Woman. I think has August to itself, and uh, that's good for now. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Mm. Uh, We've kind of talked about this a little bit, uh, but we can say it more explicitly. Uh, Lindy Lindy Erickson asks us, "What's everyone's comfort movie? Have you watched it in quarantine yet?" Um, everyone knows my, my comfort movie is the Lord of the Rings movie trilogy. <laughs> I will feel so safe and happy and warm whenever I watch those films. I have not watched it yet during quarantine, uh, but I am planning to do so because I do watch all three of those movies back to back. I don't do it once a year. I used to, but now um, every like every other year I, I, I now go through that. So, so we need mm-hmm. to like do a NBP Netflix party thing to watch those movies. Nine hours? <laughs> are you are you down I for that? Would do it. I would do it in a heartbeat. The last time I did it, I did it when um I no, I haven't done it since it was in theaters when Return of the King opened. I went to this theater that showed all three of them in a row and then did the premiere of Return of the King. That's how I saw Return of the King. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was the best. Well, you know, for me, I do have a couple comfort food movies, but the one that I watched most recently was Death Becomes Her. I Ooh, love it nice. so Ooh, much. So good. And I've loved that movie since I was like 10 years old, which I think explains a lot about me. <laughs> <laughs> I love the opening of that movie when they have Sweet Bird of Youth, the musical, and the song oh, that yeah. Madeline sings. Mm-hmm. It's great. Uh, my, my biggest comfort food movie, I, I have a few, but my biggest comfort food movie is actually Amelie. And oh. I, I haven't watched it yet, but that movie is such a joy and a delight. I'm kind of saving it for the day that I feel the most depressed. My, as Lindy knows, mine are the Joe Wright Pride and Prejudice and uh, the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society, which funny enough, I watched both of them like the week before all the quarantining started. 
Um, but I'm sure I will probably watch both within the next month at some point uh, again. And in my comfort food movie is probably Singing in the Rain. Nice. <laughs> love it. Yeah, I love that movie so much. Favorite movie ever. My idea I- of comfort food movie is a cross between... Uh, there are actually three from two directors, but they're all of a piece to me. And it's three movies from Nora Ephron, Sleepless in Seattle, You've Got Me All, and Julie and Julia. And three Nancy Myers movies, The Parent Trap, Something's Gotta Give, and It's Complicated. I Boom. put them all within like the same realm. And you can just pick anyone out of that and immediately makes you feel better. And they're especially good for like cold, rainy days. And you make some soup and curl up and it's just yeah. perfect. Yeah. Julie and Julia, I have watched and mm-hmm. it's always a delight. I have to say, and Nicole's going to be very, very happy to hear me say this out loud. Um, yeah. Little Women is becoming my new comfort movie. Yes. I have watched that. <laughs> I, I'm not surprised. <laughs> oh my God, I got to add about Little Women. I don't know if any of you saw this on Twitter this morning, that apparently there's a scene, and I've seen the movie yep. three times and never noticed this, where there's a Hydra flask in the background of uh, one scene with Laurie. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> Okay. I think a water bottle, <laughs> like a plastic water bottle is in that shot, too. Yeah, in the same shot. There's a hydro flask and a plastic water bottle. James uh, Scott, uh, James Robert Scott on Twitter asks us, how long have we been quarantined? Five weeks? Two days? <laughs> Help me to recollect. <laughs> that was um, my favorite. <laughs> no answer. Just going to leave that as is. <laughs> uh, we also have Evan McKenzie uh, asks us, if they get delayed and switched... Okay, I see what I see what he's saying here. So release date switched. Okay, which film would you rather see first? All right, I guess this is just which film would you rather see first, Dune or Tenet? Stay awesome, guys. Tenet. 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 I would pick Dune. <laughs> Gee, let me guess. I know. <laughs> Listen, I need I need some. Don't say his name. Don't say his name out loud. No, I was just <laughs> Oscar Isaac. Because because what? Oscar Isaac's in Dune too, isn't he? Oh, that wasn't who I was thinking of. Yeah, no, that's who I, I'm thinking of. I know of. who I you were thinking of. I right now, so. Wait, is he in it? I didn't know that. Yeah, he is. Yeah, yeah. he is. So okay. that's what I'm looking for, okay? Michael, Michael, literally yeah. everyone that's worth their salt in Hollywood is in Dune. That's true. <laughs> I know, and I'll see it for the cast, but it's just Dune. I don't, I don't like Dune. <laughs> I, I think if anybody can make it interesting, it would be Denis, but yeah, I, I agree. The story of Dune is one that I don't know if it's going to translate well to film but no, we'll see okay, really Stephen Henderson it it. I have my path. If, if David Lynch can't do it I'm not quite yeah. sure Amy Smith asks us you're you're reopening a cinema after the pandemic is over there are no f- new films currently to show though so what films from the past would you love to put back on the big screen Ooh, that's a great question hmm. I've got little women in every single <laughs> <laughs> honestly I would I would put like I would put singing in the rain, like just like Excellent movies choice. are back, people. Yes, we love totally. Um, I was I was gonna say that was a I, that was my reply as well. It's so, it's such a perfect answer in my opinion. Yeah. Is it weird to say that I would put all the Harry Potter movies in and people could just go like bounce around from them? I feel like I could also make some good money that way. I like that idea of like maybe <laughs> here's what you do. You don't have any seats in the movie theater. It's just a screen and they're all playing and you could walk from screening room to screening room oh God, and yeah. yeah, just hop in as they're playing simultaneously. I love See, it. I was kind of thinking about that with the Marvel movies. Nice. Oh, that would be really cool too. Big Marvel movie marathon, yeah. And then, like, in the main lobby, you can have, like, some sort of um, 
I don't know, like a museum of like collectible attractions or just something like that. You know what I mean? Um, oh, that'd be such a cool concept to do. I love it. Yeah. yeah. I am casting my vote for a double feature of Alhazar, Balthazar, and First Reformed. Nice feel-good double feature. Oh, <laughs> oh God. <laughs> yeah. You know, raise your blades to slit your wrists will be a key. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone needs to feel good after this quarantine, right? Uh, Swamp Thing asks us, what is the most interesting apocalyptic vision that you've ever seen in a, in a movie? So a vision of, I guess, post-apocalyptic, I suppose, is what they're asking. Or, 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 the, or the end of the world uh, and nothing after that. Yeah. I, I Melancholia. I was going to say Melancholia just for the final shot alone. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's my choice, too. And, uh, and, and how people behave. Yes. Uh, yeah. 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 You know, it's, that's, I mean, that's the fascinating part of that movie. I have to say, I still, and I know this is going to sound funny, and I think it's partially because of the timing that I saw it, but I'm still very fascinated by the Hunger Games as a post-apocalyptic world. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And particularly, like, I've been watching some reality TV while we've been quarantined and knowing that, like, it was part of what inspired her to write the novels. Um, yeah. Mad Max Fury Road. That's a good one. Yeah. You know, that is a pretty relevant movie in many ways these days. Mm-hmm. You know, we just talked about it, and I do think that, once again, the world that was set up, at least through the production design in Children of Men, I find very interesting, especially because so many apocalyptic movies showcase a world where, like, everything has just completely collapsed. But I always find it so much more interesting to see a world that still has, like, some things in a government that are trying to function and trying to realize that in a world that seems believable, I find to be so much more interesting that's easily mm-hmm. my answer. Yeah. That's Josh, great. have you seen the HBO series Years and Years? Uh, I have not, no. Okay, it was on last year. It's a limited series uh, from Russell T. Davies. Mm, but uh, okay. it stars uh, Russell Tovey and Emma Thompson, Rory Kinnear. Uh, it's really well done. And it uh, takes place maybe 10 years from now, 5, 10 years from now, in London, where Emma Thompson is like a TV show personality who's elected prime minister. And it's sort of like how her being in this position and being like a Trumpian figure impacts societies in small ways, years and years to the point where it's, you know, like you say, things are still functioning, but things are so incredibly different. Hmm. I have to check that out. Thanks for the recommendation. Uh, Scott Kernan asks, uh, not related to COVID-19, but it is something I've been thinking about. What if the Oscars had used a system Emmy voters used to pick winners, branch-only participation, only the people associated with the specific branch, actors for acting, directors for directing, voted? Well, it's interesting. That's sort of how BAFTA used to do it uh, before they switched over. And they did produce some very interesting winners in contrast to the Academy back then. Yeah, I kind of preferred it. (laughs) At least it was something different throughout the season. Yeah. I saw on Twitter this week, someone posted the 2001 supporting actor lineup from BAFTA. And you talk about a difference there, you know, just seeing who was nominated and what the movies were. It was really insane to see those nominees. Did anyone else catch that? Oh, yeah. You got like Eddie Murphy for Shrek and (laughs) Robin for Moulin Rouge. Yeah. But then you also have Robbie Coltrane for Harry Potter. Yeah, that was the other one. for Stone, Colin Firth for Bridget Jones's Diary and Hugh Bonneville Mm -hmm. for Iris. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. What a lineup. So that's back when they used to do things a little differently. 
I do feel like if it was voted that way, you would get less um, sound award uh, issues. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. It does. I'm saying Bohemian Rhapsody wouldn't have won thing like editing. Like, I feel like a lot of the technicals, like, it would be people who knew more of what it meant. Um, Oh, yeah. And not just in the sound categories. That would be, like, for all of those that you have people that. editing. I mean, well, all you got to do is look at the guilds, you know, for that. Yeah, exactly. I think they would match the guilds a lot closer. Yeah. (laughs) Which is why almost, which is kind of why it's like they're never going to do it because they have the guilds for that. Yeah. Uh, Luca, Luca Gilberti uh, asks, which movies from this last decade utilize silence the best? And conversely, which ones triumph in their smart use of dialogue? For me, the answer to both is Call Me By Your Name, Michael Stubarg, and the ending is all I will say. So utilizing silence. Well, the obvious uh, one is Quiet Place. Oh, yeah. God. Yeah. Yeah, that that's the obvious one. But I think for me, I would actually pick a different movie from that year, and I would say Roma. Good answer. Good, good answer. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm. I know there are a few movies that do really smart things with sound cutting out. At oh, the Royal Tenenbaums, which is not from the last decade. Oh, it's not from. La- no, I thought it was two. Th- oh yeah, no, that was <laughs> it was two thousand. <laughs> I know time is like just yeah. completely time, absent in these Time is a flat again, circle. So it doesn't mean anything. Five weeks, we two days. <laughs> um, I, I will. I will definitely highlight the scene from A Beautiful Day in a Neighborhood in the Diner. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh God, yes. It's pretty incredible stuff. Yeah. Very brave. Uh oh man, this is okay. Here we go. I'm sure there are some very strong opinions on this one. John Anzalone asks, who is the best actor and the best actress of all time? Oh, John. Of all <laughs> like, time. Of like, all time. Their performances and everything? Just taking into account literally everything. Everything? Oh. Uh, easiest answer. It's basic, but I don't care. For me, is Daniel Day-Lewis and Meryl Streep. I'll agree with Meryl Streep. And of course, Daniel Day-Lewis is up there. Yeah. But uh, for me, greatest actor, it's, it's such a tough question for both of them. Meryl Streep is just so head and shoulders above the rest of the pack, in my opinion, that that's an easy one. But for actor, I could go with Dustin Hoffman or Tom Hanks or Daniel Day-Lewis or Jack Nicholson. Uh, I'm going to go with Jack, I think. But that's my answer today. Ask me again tomorrow. I'm going to go with a different actress, though. I, although I can agree Meryl Streep is great. But just for the sake of variety, I'm going to say Tilda Swinton. Ooh, what a choice. I like that choice a lot, actually. Um, I was going to say uh, Diane Weist. Never good choice. Mm. So good. Yeah, I, I may switch with Josh and go with Tilda because the, the, she has the range. I mean, no two roles are the same. <laughs> Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. That is true. Yeah. Honestly, for me, actress, the first person that came to mind was Catherine Hepburn. Yeah, of course. She's yeah. up there. Definitely. Yeah. And for actor, the first one that came to mind to me was Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah. Oh. Good choice. You know what? I might have to agree with that one. I no, The first one that comes to mind for me is Brando still. Uh, Brando definitely See, is up it's there. It's so easy to say Brando. Because mm-hmm. you have The Godfather and all the Waterfront and all those classic performances. But then you also have 
later career Brando to deal with. Which is why I don't immediately say Robert De Niro. Mm -hmm. um, But if he had just continued doing his 70s and 80s output uh, Mm -hmm. into the 2000s, I would say De Niro would probably be the winner of that category for me. Um, I think like in terms of like chameleon transformations, I think Gary Oldman is pretty outstanding. Yeah. Yeah. I the recently, first... you know, I'd go with Defoe too. Willem mm-hmm. Defoe is He's I mean, very varied. Yeah. yeah. He's got a tremendous amount of range. In terms I don't I don't know why, like Stanley Tucci is one of the people that came to my mind in terms of like Yeah, he's a good character so actor. Many good char- like performances. Like I can't think of a time that I've not liked a performance of his. I, 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 I can't go that far. I like Stanley Tucci, but best of all time. Eh. My my initial thought was Olivier. So <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think I would also just say, just so that I can maybe try to think of somebody that isn't a recent actor, um, I really love pretty much everything that Montgomery Clift ever did. Oh, yeah. I, I think oh, he's oh, yeah. such a great Clift. talent. Yes. Holy shit, yes. Love him. Absolutely. And in, ter- and in terms of versatility, two actors come to mind to me, um, Jimmy Stewart and yes. Cary Grant. I was also thinking Jimmy Stewart. I, I, I hmm. I like Jimmy Stewart. To me, Jimmy Stewart is a lot like how I view someone like, say, George Clooney today. I mean, could George Clooney do Vertigo? I doubt it. No, absolutely not. Oh, I think he totally could. Eh. Would he, though? I don't, I, that's never a question. Before we continue on to that, can we extend on this one for a second when we're talking about favorite, a- favorite actors of all time? We're not talking about favorite. We're talking about the best. Or the, the best. Yeah, okay, yes, the best. Who do you consider the best? What do you think the best performance of all time is? Not just the person, but, you know, best performance by an actor or an actress. That is easily Vivian Lee in A Streetcar Named Desire. I would say that she is easily yeah. in the yeah. top three. See, I'm not as much of a fan as, that, as others are there. I like that performance a lot, but honestly, the first one that comes to my mind is Catherine Hepburn in Line in Winter. Yep, that <laughs> oh, was mine, too. That yeah. That's an incredible one. Yes. Yeah, I think we can say yeah. that's the consensus. Well, Meryl Streep and Sophie's Choice is usually a go-to answer, I think, for this question a lot as well. Yeah. Sure, sure. I, and what about for actor? <laughs> uh, for actor, uh, De Niro and Raging Bull. Brando and Streetcar. Mm-hmm. Uh, why, why is this always so much more difficult with the men? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's true. Um, I, well, this is the first one that came to my mind. I don't know if I would stand by this. Particularly, but um, I would say Pacino in The First Godfather. See, mm. my favorite is Dustin Hoffman in Tootsie. But I think That's one that we would, on. I think one we could all get behind as like a consensus maybe is Anthony Hopkins in The Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. 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 It's good, but best of all time. Uh. I would say this, Anthony Hopkins, um, I would put him in general up there with some of the best actors of all time. But when he brings it, he brings it. His performance as Lecter um, is also up there. I, yeah, I, I kind of with Dan a little bit in like best of all time, but it's definitely up there. Uh, one that came to mind to me was Peter O'Toole in Lawrence of Arabia. Mm. Yes. I mean, also yeah. Peter O'Toole in Lion in Winter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and one more woman to add, aside from Catherine Hepburn. How about a Gloria Swanson in Sunset Boulevard? Oh, yeah. Good choice. Very good choice. Uh, and, and and similarly, Betty Davis and All About Eve. Oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, subjective question here, um, and I'm sure this will definitely uh, get a lot of passionate 
responses from everyone. Titus Banks asks, are there any best picture winners that are widely seen? Okay, take this take this into account. Widely seen in cinephile circles as quote unquote undeserving that you actually go to bat for that you think des- did deserve to win best picture. Ten times out of ten, I will defend Shakespeare in love every single day of the week. See, when you say widely seen, like I could go back and find ones, you know, that are really bad from the 30s that I won't defend. But, you know, I think the earlier you go, you could find ones that you would go to bat for. But depends how many people have seen them. Yeah. There, there are folks that dump on Slumdog Millionaire. And I, mm-hmm. I, I'm with you on that one, Tom. I, I defend yeah. Slumdog Millionaire to the death. Yeah. I don't know how many people dump on Chicago. I think mm-hmm. people have this relationship where they loved it, then they decided yeah. they didn't like it, then they came back around and found out that they did love it. But that's actually my favorite Best Picture winner. So I don't know if we're in the phase where people love it or hate it right now. But if we're in the hate <laughs> phase, then I'll just defend it. But I think people I, have come around on it. I know some people complain about Titanic. And I will go to bat for that movie any day. Oh, I don't same here. People who rail against Titanic. People who rail against Titanic <laughs> want best to best see it. You could be blase about some things, Nicole, but not about Titanic winning Best Picture. Yeah, yeah. those <laughs> people are stupid. Yeah. You know what my real answer is? Because people do like Chicago, but a lot of people on film Twitter have turned on this movie, but I still love it to death. Forrest Gump. I, 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 I'm with you on uh, that. I still enjoy Forrest Gump. Mm. I go back and forth on that one. It is... Watch it again and think of the politics of today and what the movie actually means, and it becomes something very different. I yeah. don't care if it moves me. It moves me <laughs> tremendously. Yeah. And, and I, I think, think I think there's some th- some movies that people dump on because they beat a now classic. Yeah. I'm, I'm like people dump on ordinary people all ordinary the time. Ordinary people, the, you know, the classic movie. Yeah. yeah. So that's a good film. Ordinary people oh, is it's a massive tremendous. Film. One of my favorite movies. Yeah. That's yeah. like a top I, 10 best picture winner for me. This might be controversial, but I actually, obviously I don't like what it beat out, but like, I don't hate King's Speech as a best picture winner. I no, love not at all. I no, I, I like King's now. Speech. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I feel like people rail against it all the time because it beat the social network and forget and that, like, why. King's Speech is a good movie. It's yeah, really definitely. Movie. I, it's the least interesting of one of the most interesting best picture lineups ever, but that doesn't mean it's not a good movie. <laughs> I, I'm with you on that. I, 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 it's not the top answer for me in terms of the one that I readily go to bat for right away, yeah. but I will go to bat for the King's Speech. It's definitely yeah. a very good movie still, regardless. It wasn't an undeserving winner, in my opinion. Exactly. You know, I think my answer for this is not so much a movie that people think is an undeserving winner, but maybe just one that people don't talk about as a great Best Picture winner, and that would be Unforgiven, which I think great movie to me is Clint Eastwood's best film. And I get it that he's not a very popular figure sometimes, especially on film Twitter, but I really do think Unforgiven is like one of the greatest movies ever made. It's I think it is a masterpiece, and it's one of my favorite Best Picture winners of all time. I'm with, I'm with you. you on that, Josh. Yeah. 100%. So much to the point that I almost think that it doesn't qualify as an answer. <laughs> <laughs> Sticking in that mid-90s realm, one that I know people, again, in the past like to pick on, I don't know how they feel about it now, is the English patient. I like the English patient still. I know that it's very long. I know that it's slow for a lot of people. I think there's a lot happening in that movie. I definitely agree, though, that it fit the mold of like that 80s sweeping epic 
type movie that mm. was very much the mold of a best picture winner in terms of oh big and epic and sweeping equals importance best picture yada 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 but it's a genuinely good movie i know there are a lot Agreed, of people yeah. laying on seinfeld you know screaming her way <laughs> i'll, I'll yeah, take the english patient so over out of africa any day of the week <laughs> oh out of africa is not is not good i still yeah. love, it's a great moral performance but it's not a good movie i still don't like the english patient sorry yeah. Well, the problem with the English patient is that it beat Fargo, and I think that's what sticks mm-hmm. in, in most people's craw about that movie. Yeah. Has anyone else here seen every single Best Picture winner? I have. Okay, so then, Josh, would you agree with me that the worst Best Picture winner of all time is Cavalcade? It's cool. Cimarron. <laughs> you know, well, pretty bad too. Yeah. Actually, I don't hate Cavalcade. Um, my pick for the worst is um, the the DeMille one. Great show. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. Definitely yeah. Worst, in my opinion. Ugh. That's like uh, no, around the first of 92. Bad too. Yeah. Yeah, there, there are five bad ones, I would say. Five terrifically bad ones, which are my, in my opinion Cavalcade, Great Show on Earth, Broadway Melody, Great Zigfeld and Cimarron. Oh, no, 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 no. D- d- I will hear nothing bad against Broadway Melody. <laughs> oh, no, okay. no, 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 no. Especially over Cimarron, which is legitimately terrible. Yeah, that is baffling. Keeping up with this theme here for a minute, uh, let's go in the opposite direction. Uh, this will be interesting. Richard Houlihan asks, what is an all-time great movie? Okay, so now we're talking about stuff that everybody like objectively considers quote-unquote great, that you have struggled to get into after multiple viewings. Keep that part in mind, too. You've tried to watch this multiple times. I don't think there's anything. This is a tough question for me to answer as well, because as you guys know, I try to find the positives in almost everything I watch. And most of the time I can. So it's extremely, extremely rare for me to watch something that is universally great and for me to not recognize why people think it's great. Or like, because usually when I hear a question like this, it's kind of in that respect of, is this a great movie, but it's like a really tough watch and like mentally you don't really want to enter that, that headspace yeah. again, you know? And like in that regard, the go, oh, there's so many answers. Movie, yeah. Like Schindler's list is always at the top of yeah. that list. Like I recognize it's an excellent movie. It's masterfully done, but I just don't really want to enter the headspace to watch it again. I feel like for me, all the things that like, I, you know, have been really well received that I haven't liked are more recent. So I like haven't tried to watch it again, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's the thing. Like if I don't get something or if I don't like it, I'm I'm not very likely to try to watch it again unless like I know there were circumstances that prevented me from enjoying it. Yeah. See, like I've had a couple of success stories where. I've watched something and I wasn't into it. And then it's like, no, everybody's saying this is great. Clearly something was wrong. You need to go back and you need to do this one more time. Um, And like the two classic examples now for me are No Country for All Men and Uncut Mm -hmm. Gems, which my first viewings of both of them were underwhelming to say the least. Mm -hmm. And when I went back and saw them again, I was like, oh, top 10 status. Holy shit. What was I thinking? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's quite recent, but mine would be the favorite, which I went and saw twice because I thought maybe I just missed something, but I genuinely hate that movie. So <laughs> there you go. That's that's actually the perfect answer, I think. Yeah. I well, okay. I, I, I will say, like, I I have I have only tried going back to this movie uh once, but 
I the first time I saw the social network, I'm like, that was fine. And then everyone kept talking about masterpiece, best film of all time, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, uh, what movie were y'all watching? Because I didn't see that movie. <laughs> yeah. And this, so I went, I have gone back to watch it once and had the exact same reaction that I had to it the first time, which was, it's good, but the, I don't understand the whole great thing that's as close as i get i'm totally with you on that i mean i i really admire it but i just can't go crazy about it the one that that really i cannot crack um is a very small movie recently that a number of people had said was the best of the decade and that's a ghost story i i i I went to see it once and i fell asleep and so (laughs) i went back to see it twice and i fell asleep again so I'm <laughs> Tom, you can't see this right now, but Josh Parham and I are shaking. Okay. Yeah, you, you cut out for a second, Tom. I didn't hear anything that you said. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, last question. This is a fun one. I'm actually going to pull up uh, all four of the years that are referenced here so that this way you guys have a uh, reference to this. Oh, no. <laughs> okay, it's from Ethan May. It is a game. Okay. Alrighty. We're gonna take we're gonna take an Oscar lineup. We're gonna take Best Actor in 2011, Best Supporting Actor in 2008, Best Actress in 2012, and Best Supporting Actor in 2018. I'm gonna pull up all four of those, so don't worry. Why? What? And what you have to do is you have to delete one person from that lineup and replace them with somebody else from that year. Oh I've been preparing years for this. Wait, <laughs> why? why? Why these years and categories in particular? Because they, these were the ones that they just gave as reference, and I don't want to have to go through like every single year <laughs> to do this. I'm like ready to cry. My lists are coming in handy. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. So let's take a look here. Let's start off with Best Supporting Actress 2018. Uh, the winner, Regina King, If Beale Street Could Talk. The other nominees are Amy Adams for Vice, Marina De Tavira for Roma, Emma Stone, and Rachel Vice for The Favorite. You have to remove one and replace them with someone else. Doesn't matter who it is. I will start off with Michael because it sounds like he has something prepared. Yes, yeah, so I am removing Amy Adams from that lineup and replacing her with Michelle Yeoh from Crazy Rich Asians. Okay. Uh, who, who wants to go next? Uh, I would also remove Amy Adams, um, and I would replace her with Elizabeth Debicki from Widows. Hello. Oh, that's good. Okay, I would also, I'm so sorry, Ryan Showers. Um, I would also remove Amy Adams, <laughs> <laughs> and I would replace her with, but this would make Ryan happy, Nicole Kidman from Boy Erased. Uh, Dan, you're still struggling. Tom? I am still struggling, too. Uh, let's see. I mean, getting rid of Amy Adams is fine. Uh, boy, <sighs> it's picking the one person to go in there instead. <laughs> oh shit! I lied. I lied. Mike, Margot Robbie's very good Scott's. Sorry. <laughs> I was gonna say I was shocked. Yeah, Nicole. I lied. Mine is. I'm replacing Amy Adams with Margot Robbie and Mary Queen of Scots. All right. All right. I okay. I got mine. Right, wait. What was Amy Adams? Vice. For Vice. Vice. For Vice. 
Oh, okay. Okay, so here is... <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay, so, he, so hear me out. So hear me out. Hear me out. Um, I take out Emma Stone because she is a lead. And I replace her with Sakura Ando and Shoplifters. Ooh. Wow. I like it. I like it a lot. Um, I, whoever said Elizabeth Debicki and Widows, that is my answer as well for Amy Adams' substitution. I, yeah. I cannot remove any of my favorite ladies. I'm sorry. No. All right. Supporting actor now. Uh, the year that was given was 2008. That lineup. Oscar winner Heath Ledger for The Joker. I'm sorry, Dark Knight. Wow. Um, he played The Joker. Uh, Josh Brolin for Milk. Robert Downey Jr. for Tropic Thunder, Philip Seymour Hoffman for Doubt, and Michael Shannon for Revolutionary Road. Oh, well, you know, I don't really get all the love for Revolutionary Road, in particular the Michael Shannon performance. That one kind of goes over my head. Um, And I think that I would replace him. And unfortunately, the only person that I can really think of right now is James Franco in Milk. Which I know that the actor is kind of icky, but I do think that that is his best performance. I I really do love him in that film. I I, I do too. Yeah. I honestly, I still to this day don't really see what was so great about what Josh Brolin was doing in Milk. And I would probably replace him with Brendan Gleeson and in Bruges. So I actually love all five nominees, but if I have to take one out, I'm going to remove Michael Shannon, even though I am a really big fan of Revolutionary Road. And I'm replacing him with John Malkovich and Burn After Reading. Ah, give me the CD fuck face. (laughs) Although my lineup that here, my personal lineup is Heath Ledger and Philip Seymour Hoffman of the nominees. And then the remaining three slots go to John Malkovich, Brad Pitt and George Clooney, all from Burn After Reading. Uh Read read the read the nominees again. Uh, they are Heath Ledger for The Dark Knight, okay. Josh Brolin for Milk, Robert Downey Jr. for Tropic Thunder, Philip Seymour Hoffman for Doubt, and Michael Shannon for Revolutionary Road. Okay. If I if I had to take one out, I guess I would take out Michael Shannon. Um, I'm I'm loath to take any of them out because I like them all, but I would take out Michael Shannon and replace with Brad Pitt and Burn After Reading. Good choice. <laughs> I, I think that's honestly one of his best performances. You thought that was a swim. <laughs> it definitely is. Nicole? Yeah, I would... Uh, I feel like Brolin is the person I'm taking out, and I honestly don't know who I would put in, which sounds so bad. I'm going to come back to you. Think of another good person from that year. Uh, one that came to my mind um, is Kevin Bacon and Frost Nixon. He's really good, but would you consider what? Michael Sheen leader supporting there? Lead, they're co-leads. Co-leads. Yeah. They're both names are in the title. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> come on. Yeah. Oh. Although, Matt, honestly, I would also categorize Brennan Gleason and in Bruges lead. Really? Yeah, I uh, think it's a co-lead situation between the two of them. Oh, I think it's I think it's Ray's story, uh, you know, Colin Farrell's character, and that's so I don't I don't see it that way, but that's okay. And I might I would take out probably Roland and replace him with um, Javier Bardem and Vicky Cristina Barcelona. Oh, good choice. Ooh. You know who else is really good that year? And I'm surprised no one's named him yet. Bill Irwin and Rachel Getting Married. Oh, he is so yeah. good. Oh. Yeah, yeah, I'll go with that for my choice. <laughs> okay. Best actor from the year 
2011. You have the Oscar winner Jean Joudraudin for The Artist, Damien Bashir for Better Life, George Clooney for The Descendants, Gary Oldman for Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, and Brad Pitt for Moneyball. I'm taking out Damien Bashir, even though I like him, and replacing him with Payman Moadi in a separation. Oh, wow. Uh, that's a good choice. That's a really good choice. Holy crap, that's really good. I don't um, think I'm going to get that. That stops me in my tracks. <laughs> uh, well, I think for me, I'm not really like that enthused about any of these performances. Um, I think I would actually remove Clooney, probably. And I, that's just because I don't really have any enthusiasm for him in that movie. Um, in terms of who I would replace him with, I feel like the easy answer, at least for me, is Fastbender and Shame. I mean, that was going to be mine as well. Mm-hmm. Fastbender and Shame is like so, so easy uh, in terms of who to take out, though, to make that happen. I love the Damien Bashir nod so much. Yeah. And if Gary Oldman can still have his Oscar win for Darkest Hour, I think I'll just take out Oldman in that case. Mm. Yeah. That, that's I who I so would much take better in Tinker Tailor. Yeah. Oh, I disagree. But then again, you know me. I like transformational performances. Yeah, yeah I, I like that. Um, I think I would probably do the same, but I would probably replace with Ryan Gosling in Drive. See, Drive is my number one favorite movie of that year, and even I wouldn't go so far as to put Gosling <laughs> in an actor lineup because I mean, I would. That performance is so subtle to the point that it's like. If what? we're talking about different flavors of minimalism, I prefer Ryan Gosling in Drive to Gary Oldman in Tinker Tailor. Mm. I mean, yes to that too, but still, Michael Fassbender in Shame. Come on. I yeah. I would probably take out Oldman and I'd replace him with Tom Cullen in Weekend. Oh. Yeah. I have Cullen and Chris New both in my personal lineup that year. Yeah. Actually, this is a category where none of the nominated five made it into my personal uh, lineup for best actor. <laughs> oh, not even Brad Pitt? Yeah. No, I mean, and you. it's funny that you guys are all saying that you dump Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman is actually my preference of the five that are in this group, so. Wow. But none of them also made my personal lineup, so it's like... I would pick him, but not that enthusiastically either. Well, listen, I can give you eight inches of reasoning as to why I would put Fastbender in here. So. <laughs> All righty. Wait, did yeah? Was Take Shelter? Did that actually get released that year? Yeah, that was yes, it did. Oh yeah, then I may take Michael Shannon and Take Shelter. That's a great oh, choice. Putting him back in. Mm-hmm. That's very good. Okay, and then the final lineup here is Best Actress in 2012. So you have Jennifer Lawrence in Silver Linings Playbook, the Oscar winner, Jessica Chastain for Zero Dark Dirty, Emmanuel Riva for Amour, Quavenjane Wallace for Beasts of the Southern Wild, and Naomi Watts for The Impossible. Oh, I love okay. my answer here. I'm so excited for this. <laughs> so Dan, this you want to go first? This is the easiest, easiest one ever. Take out Jessica Chastain, replace her with Kira Knightley and Anna Karenina. Jesus Christ, Same. what? Oh. Boom, done. I disagree. Easy. I, I disagree so much. I'm easy, gonna say easy. Take out Quivenjane and replace her with uh, Rachel Weiss in the Deep Blue Sea. Oh, oh I love Rachel Weiss in Deep Blue Sea, but no Quivenjane. <laughs> yeah, I can't take out Quivenjane. Actually, no. ooh, I'm, I might. Mm, if I'm not taking out Jessica Chastain, I'm taking out Jennifer Lawrence. 
and replacing her with Anna Karen uh, and Anna Karenina. Well, who wins the Oscar then? Emmanuel Riva. Yeah. No, no, I want I want to hear Nicole's answer. I want to hear Nicole's answer to this. <laughs> Honestly, that makes sense, probably. Okay. Or or Jessica Chastain, honestly, because I know. Yeah, I, I, I would take out Lawrence also with Reva winning. And I would replace her with Marion Cotillard in Rust and Bone. That's also a good So yeah, that yeah, was that was, was mine. Close to getting nominated. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Rust and Bone was, was my answer. But in terms of who I would take out to make that happen, that's, once again, a very, very tough call on my part here. Um, I sadly am going to remove Quivenjane Wallace. <laughs> I, I, it hurts me to do so, but I, 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 I'm doing it for a couple of different reasons. And one of them is because I just, I love her. I do like her in that movie. I, I definitely do, but I still, that, I don't know. That That's the kind of child performance to this day where it's like, I wonder, you know, how much of it was. She has proven since that she has it. Has she though? What in Annie? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like that was a terrible movie, but she was still good in it. She carried that movie. <sighs> you're not wrong. She carried both wrong. of those movies. Yeah, I don't like that movie, but you're not wrong. I agree. Mm. I just, I'm just gonna say as a confession, I have still not seen The Impossible. Really? Oh, it's oh pretty my good. god! Oh. It's so good. It's so good. It stars Nicole's son. It yeah. does. Yes. And my man's Ewan McGregor. Like, <laughs> I'm sure it is good, but it's just one of those movies that at the time, because I remember basically I had a choice to see either that or Amour, and I picked Amour, which I think was the correct decision. But yes. at, yes. once like the Oscars were done, I just didn't have a huge urge to go back to it, and I just haven't gotten to it yet. I That movie, I remember seeing it that in the theaters and like the sound work is so fucking incredible the sound the makeup in that movie yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. um my family watched the impossible while we were at our beach condo over the summer which is like oh, that's no. a choice that's a choice, <laughs> that's a choice. <laughs> nicole by the way please add the movie the deep blue sea to your list because it has rachel weiss tom hiddleston simon russell beale and harry hadden Patton. It has been on my list forever. I just need to get around to watching it. <laughs> she should have been nominated. She won. Was it L.A. or New York? That year? She won New York. A, uh, New York. Yeah, New York. Yeah, New York. Uh, and she should have been Oscar nominated. It's Rachel Weisz's uh, one of her finest performances. Absolutely. And that's saying a lot. It's a brilliant m- movie. And uh, I'm with you there. I'm Michael. Okay. Uh, that's pretty much it uh, for this that week here. Yeah, that it was again. very fun. Yeah. Uh, submit some more next week. It was stressful. <laughs> There was a lot of really, really good stuff in there. Uh, some games, lots of fun. Um, I definitely had a blast here. So thank you all very, very much. Okay, uh, so now uh, we're going to say goodbye here. Michael, where can they find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at mschwartz95. Nicole Ackman. You can find me pretty much everywhere on the internet at Nicole Ackman 16 Dan Bear. You can find me on the Twitter at DanceAndDanOnFilm. Josh Parham. I'm on Twitter at J.R. Parham. Tom O'Brien. And I am I'm on Twitter at Thomas E. O'Brien. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to episode 187 of the Next Best Picture podcast. I hope you guys all had a blast. Um, I know we definitely had a lot of fun here. Um, and there's a lot of stuff still to come, uh, even though, once again, we're heading now into a full month of April with no new releases in sight. Uh, we are going to be officially beginning 
our 2014 retrospective. Ooh. I Woo-hoo. am so excited Woo. to revisit this film year. We were originally going to do uh, 10 podcasts in total, five films nominated for Best Picture and five films that were nominated for Oscars but not nominated for Best Picture uh, due to the coronavirus. That lineup of podcasts has extended. And I think we are still going to try and squeeze them all in before September. And and this is all uh, based on, you know, if the fall film festivals will be happening or not. But, I mean, you know, we'll drag this out further if we have to. So we'll see how it all goes. I'm really, really, really excited, though, to dive back in and revisit uh, some films from this time. We did it last year for 2015. It was very well received. And I know the team has definitely been looking forward to it. And also, too just for a chance to maybe watch something that you didn't see that year. This is now your opportunity. So here we go. Gone girl, baby. Let's do this. Alrighty, so you've been listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you get some exclusive podcast content from us, including some exclusive reviews that we usually only give the preview of for free, but we give the full review on there, as well as some other little nuggets in there, such as Next best theater we have a podcast starting up again for next best adaptation which will be running next week and we're also going to be doing some really really fun stuff with next best series over the next couple of months as well because hey once again you're all at home what else are you watching so thank you once again for subscribing to that channel keeping us alive and really on at the end of the day just giving us a platform to continue to do what it is that we love to do uh we really really truly enjoy coming here every week and it is i think keeping us all sane while the rest of the world is going insane at the moment so thank you for that we shall see you all next time